If you read last week, if you read last week, you would see that uh, we are starting a new series. After spending 15 weeks in uh, Romans chapter 1, we begin the new year with a very short series, four weeks, focused on the subject of preaching. And we want to examine and explore God's mandate that every church should have their focus, their desire to have good and strong biblical preaching taking place, not only in the pulpits of those churches, but also in every facet of the teaching ministry of every church. Now you may be asking, Tim, why would you devote a month of time focused on a subject where there's only really one person in our midst right now who that applies to being me? Why would you talk about preaching? Just do it and let us learn. Well, I believe that we have lost sight, not only, not just as a church, but in America, we have lost sight about what true biblical preaching is. We talk about that we go to a Bible-believing church, a Bible-preaching church. But what does that mean? I would assume that almost everybody who attends a church here in America, any kind of evangelical church, would say that they are a Bible-preaching and Bible-teaching church. But I want us to define that. And I want to lay a foundation this morning that will set our course for the next four weeks. I think this is of great importance. I want a wonderful way to open our year by looking at this subject of preaching. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my uh, mentors, if you will, from across the Atlantic Ocean and a couple generations ago, a preacher in England once said that the problem with preaching that we face is the most urgent need in the church today. He said the answer to deal with the problems that we face as a church and as a society can be answered with true and biblical preaching. If we desire here in America to have revival and reformation in our churches, then we must have revival and reformation in the pulpits. This was true in the life of Amos. Amos, an Old Testament prophet, was speaking to the children of Israel and he was articulating to them that a famine was coming. Listen to what he says in Amos 8.11. The days are coming, declares the Sovereign Lord, when I will send a famine through the land. But not a famine of food or a thirst for water, but a famine of hearing the words of the Lord. It is my fear that here in America we are living in days that Amos talked about. That there is a famine in hearing the words of the Lord. Walter Kaiser, a theologian, a current theologian and seminary president, put it this way. The famine that Amos saw in his day continues in epic proportions in most evangelical churches here in America. He says what Amos was talking about, it's happening today. And there's no question that we live in a time where preaching has lost its place. And it's now more than ever that you as a congregation, that the congregations of America should be articulating and crying out for the preachers of their churches to do as the Apostle Paul said, and that is to preach the Word. There should be clamoring when God's Word is not open. There should be uh, people getting agitated when God's Word is not being expounded upon. But across America, we find churches that are talking about everything else under the sun 
instead of preaching the word that Paul talked about. Well, what's caused this famine here in America? Steve Lawson wrote a book on the famine that is facing America in regards to the preaching of the pulpits. And this is what he says. It's a long quote, but I'm going to read it. It says, As the church advances into the 21st century, the stress to produce booming ministries has never been greater. Influenced by corporate mergers, towering skyscrapers, and expanding economies, churches have learned the idea that bigger is perceived to be better. Now, uh, nowhere is this Wall Street mentality, he says, more evident than in evangelical churches. Sad to say, pressure to produce bottom line results has led many churches to sacrifice the centrality of biblical preaching on the altar of man-centered pragmatism. He says, now a new way of church is emerging. And in this radical paradigm shift, exposition is replaced with entertainment. Preaching is replaced with performance. Doctrine is replaced with drama. And theology is replaced with theatrics. He goes on to say that the pulpit, once a focal point of the church, is now being overshadowed by church growth techniques which are seen in everything from trendy worship styles to glitzy presentations and vaudeville-like pageantries. In seeking to capture the upper hand, church growth uh, has breeded a new wave of pastors who are reinventing church and repackaging a new gospel that can be palatable and sold to consumers. I don't know about you, but I think he's right on the mark. I think he's right on the mark. I think he's nailing the bullseye of where we're at in America. And that's what I want to spend time with, making sure that we as a church are on the right track, that we're putting first things first when it comes to Christ and His church. And it's to this end we're going to look at a very famous text, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And we're going to learn the ramifications that come from that. So let's stand and let's uh, look together to Acts chapter 2. Verses 42 through 47. This is what the word of the Lord says. It says, speaking of the church, this new church that had started at the day of Pentecost, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Today we want to look at the priority of biblical preaching. Let's pray for God's blessing. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, we want nothing more than to honor you when we teach and preach your word. We want to do nothing more than honor what has been written in your written word. The 66 books of the canon of scripture that are God-breathed, that are useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training up in righteousness. Father, that village would be a church that trains people in righteousness so that we will all be built up as mature people, men and women, in Christ Jesus. Oh, Father, that's our desire. We know that uh, this type of stance is not always popular, but, Lord, we know it to be true. 
So, Father, I pray for your blessing on my words, that my words would be yours, and that your people would be edified in what is said, and all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. The first thing that we need to understand when we look at the priority of biblical preaching is that biblical preaching must be the focus and priority of every church. It must be a priority and focus in every church. Look at Acts chapter 2 for a moment where we were at. You will see a list of ministries and activities that are taking place in this new church. Now this church is just a, a couple moments old. Think about it. Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost. He preaches this incredible message. He tells people that uh, this Jesus whom uh, they had crucified was not only Lord, but Christ. And that he was the one, the only one, who could save them from their sins. So he cries out to them and says, repent and be saved. And it says that 3,000 were added to their number. And it says the first thing they do is they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I'm not going to spend any more or much more time any farther than that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I want to set a foundation of what that apostles' teaching is about. But we see a lot of other ministries that are listed. And all of these are still involved in the church today. It's not just about preaching. It's about fellowship. It's about breaking of the bread. It's about serving one another. It's about worshiping God. It's about honoring God and praying. All of those are key importance. But I'm going to set an argument this morning that preaching must be foremost. The teaching of God's Word must be at the top of all that because without that compass in our lives, we're not going to know what to preach about. We're not going to know how to serve. We're not going to know how to worship. We're not going to know who our God is and what He requires of us. And that's why preaching is of such great importance. The church will rise and fall on its priority and focus to the pulpit ministry and to the teaching ministry that it has. It's no coincidence that the devotion to the apostles' teaching was what was listed first in Acts chapter 2. And it's my belief that preaching must be listed first in the church today as well. And that's why we spend so much time focused in on the Word here. We want a fellowship. We want to serve one another. We want to be evangelistic. But that all must flow through and be funneled through this thing called biblical preaching. If village wants to continue to grow, if village continues to want to honor God in everything that we do, in every ministry that we're a part of, then village must be on a steady diet of biblical preaching. And that's why we preach on this, because precept comes before practice, doctrine before duty, and exposition before our experience. You know, if we don't focus on this preaching, you know what will happen to the church? It'll shrivel up and it'll die. Oh, it may still have thousands of people coming to it, but the growth that God demands, the holiness that God calls for, will not be a characteristic of a church that is not preaching and teaching the Word of God. In fact, turn for a moment to Acts chapter 6 this morning. Acts chapter 6. The church is growing in Acts, and from Acts 2 to Acts 6 we see that there is incredible, explosive growth that takes place within the church. 
And a problem comes out. Anytime you bring a group of people together, and at this point the church is in the thousands, you bring people together, there's going to be some issues that you have to resolve. In Acts chapter 6, an issue arises. Some of the widows whom the church had committed to taking care of weren't getting their needs met. And what happens? It says in Acts chapter 6, verse 2, that the twelve, speaking of the apostles, gathered all the disciples, all the followers and learners of Christ together and said, listen to what it says, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word, I'm sorry, ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. This is of key importance because as the ministry began to grow in that church, just as Village continues to grow, we need to make sure there's a group of people who are focused in on the ministry of the Word of God. We can't just be taking care of people's needs and making sure that we've got basketball leagues going on and the nurseries taken care of and making sure we're making hospital visits. There has to be someone who's at the steering wheel of this thing who is saying we are going to focus on the ministry of the word. Listen to what it says. He says, brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Now, look at what it says. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word whose role is that in the church the role of the ministry of the word in prayer is the ministry of your elder team and i'm going to tell you something if you see the elders focusing more time on other things then you need to come to us and look us straight in the eye and say, you know what, it's not your job to worry about the building. It's not your job to worry about making sure coffee is set up. It's not your job to make sure the details of the morning are taken care of. Your job is to be praying and to be a part of the ministry of the Word. Yesterday I was talking with a guy. I was here uh, not doing much work on the building. They don't let me touch the building much here on Saturdays. They say, we wanted the building to look nice, so you go and talk with Keith about something. And I, I was walking out, and I was telling one of the workers, one of the workers, I'm signifying I'm not a worker, one of the workers, I said, you know, I wish I, I, I could do more with the building. I wish I knew more and, and was able to do it. I had a little more time to be able to focus in on that. And the guy says, Tim, that's not your role. I don't want you to do that. You go home and study. I want something tomorrow. Don't come tomorrow with nothing. You go study. That's your job. And you know what? That man was absolutely correct. We need elders, leaders who are willing to focus in on prayer and the ministry of the Word. It has to be a focal point in our church. I'm not saying those other things aren't important, but there has to be a group of leaders who are committed to that, to teach the Word and to pray. But you know, I do a lot of studying of a lot of churches around. The web is a, allows you to see churches in a snapshot. And I see far too little of the preaching and teaching of the Word being represented. I see a lot of creative thoughts. I see a lot of church growth movements taking place in churches. And they seem to be productive. They're packing in people. But I don't see the biblical teaching of the Word of God. I don't see a focus on prayer. And that saddens me. Well, what makes this teaching and preaching so important? There are four things that we see. Why is it so important that we devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching? Answer number one is that the apostles' teaching, or that preaching, I'm sorry, was central to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. 
This idea of preaching was central to the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ. As one explores the three years of Christ's ministry here on earth, we're going to see that he had many different facets to who he was. We know that he uh, casted out demons from demon-possessed people. We know that he spent time fellowshipping with people. It says that he dined with sinners and publicans. We know that he reached out to people, that he witnessed and evangelized to people as he did with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. We know that he healed people. It says that the multitudes would bring the sick and the hurting and he would heal them. But I'm going to tell you that what I see most of Jesus' ministry is not those things, but his preaching and teaching ministry. And let me share with you why I think that. First of all, his title spoke of that. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus in John chapter 3, he says, We know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Nicodemus says, You're not a healer. You're not one who just hangs out with people, but you are a teacher that comes from God. The other thing that we see is that what his followers were called, they were called disciples. Now, you would think, well, disciple, what that means is a follower, but more clearly it means they were learners. They were learners from a teacher. The twelve disciples and those that followed Christ were learning from Christ as he taught. That was the cultural way that a rabbi would do his business. He would go around teaching and articulating truth, and he would have learners who would follow him and listen. Turn in for a moment to Matthew chapter 5. If you're in the book of Acts, turn a couple books to your left, and you'll find Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And I just want to go Matthew, Mark, and Luke and give you a couple of references that talk about this ministry of preaching. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Notice what happens. Does anybody have a heading there? Someone tell me what their heading is. Someone that's bold enough to say what the heading in Matthew chapter 5 is. I heard ha. Okay, we have Beatitudes, which are a part of the... Sermon on the Mount. Who gives sermons? Preachers. Jesus is giving a message. He's preaching. Now listen to what it says. Now when he saw the crowds, in verse 1, he went up to the mountainside, thus the Sermon on the Mount, and sat down. His disciples, the learners, came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, and then he spends a couple chapters giving a sermon. Now turn for a moment to Mark chapter 1. Go over to your right. One book to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Isn't a great sound here in the pages flipping? Mark chapter 1, verse 14 says, And after John, speaking of John the Baptist, had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching, other translations say, uh, teaching the gospel of God. Here he is again preaching this gospel. Turn again to your right to another book, uh, Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, verse 18. Jesus is in a crowd, and this is what he articulates. 
The Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me. What does it say? To preach. Christ was anointed to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim. What does a preacher do? He proclaims freedom for the sinners. Preaching was a key element to Jesus' earthly ministry. So when you watch TV and you see people up there just healing everybody under the sun, you need to ask the question, where is their primary focus? Because the primary focus of Jesus' earthly ministry was to preach. And if we're Christians, then we have a desire to follow Christ in how He did church, and that is to preach the Word of God. The second thing we see is that preaching was commanded in the Great Commission. Turn for a moment to Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Go back to your left to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. We're setting a foundation, so stick with me. Jesus, after his crucifixion, after his resurrection, brings his disciples together. And these are some of the last words that are recorded in Scripture of what Jesus tells his disciples. In Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to stop there. And we need to ask the question that probably the disciples were asking. How are we to do that, Jesus? How are we to go out into the world and make disciples, other learners? What is the process? He gives the answer. And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Now notice, what is the result of the Great Commission? The Great Commission isn't just to make people a crowd to hear good teaching. It doesn't say to go out and and to create a following, to create just a group of people who listen. It doesn't say that the job of the disciples was to go into all the world and to make sure that we grow some fellowshippers, people that know how to fellowship, that people that know how to break bread. What does it say? It says, go into all the world making disciples. What are disciples? Learners who follow. Jesus was saying, go and be teachers. Go teach and preach the Word of God so that people will learn who I am and what I've done and in turn follow and live that way. It's commanded in the Great Commission. Next we see that it also was continually practiced in the early church. It was continually practiced in the early church. Look at Acts 2 again. Turn back to our text, Acts chapter 2. In verse 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. I believe the NAS has just a slightly better translation that more clearly matches the Greek. The NAS says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. The idea here is that they relied on the apostles to communicate what Christ had commanded them to talk about. They had just trusted Jesus, and now they wanted to know more about Him. They were learners. They said, we trusted Christ as our Savior. Now tell us about our Savior and our King. This word continually devoting or devoted in the NIV uses a Greek verb that communicates a steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. What that means is they were locked in to the apostles' teaching. That was who they were. That's what characterized him. 
There was to be no departure from the doctrine of the apostles because it was, in fact, the truth of Almighty God. In fact, in the book of Acts, if you were to do an exposition of the book of Acts, you would see on 14 different occasions, you see the apostles and the disciples preaching and teaching the Word of God. 14 different times. That is more than any other activity that they were a part of. They didn't, we don't see recorded in scripture that they healed on 14 different occasions. We don't see it that they hung out with people or they grew a church. We see that they preached and they taught the Word of God. No matter what their hardships were, no matter what persecution they may endure, no matter who they were with, the apostles were singly focused, singularly focused on the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. What a great application for us this morning. Aren't you glad that we have in our hands, in our language, the apostles' teaching? I don't know about you, but that should excite you. That should excite us as Christians. We should uh, have a desire to read and to be devoted to the teaching of the apostles. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, Every pastor should seek to be unoriginal in his preaching. That sounds weird, doesn't it? Unoriginal in his preaching and teaching. In the sense that we don't want to have our own doctrine. I don't want to have to come up with my own stuff. I shouldn't come up with my own stuff. I should be, if you will, uh, plagiarizing the apostles' teaching. Staying that close to it, saying, well, we're just going to work through this. Why? Because I should, have not, I should not have my own doctrine, but the apostles. Our fidelity to the Scriptures comes to a direct result of following the New Testament model of ministry. So what does that mean? Are you devoted to the teaching of the Word of God? Is it involved in your life? If people were to uh, be brought in that work with you and that hang out with you, would they be able to say one of the characteristics of who you are is that you're devoted to the apostles' teaching? I was so excited a couple uh, weeks ago before Christmas. I was out on an event uh, heading to go uh, and do a catering event with a, a crew, and I was in the middle seat of the van, and uh, I'm, I'm studying, and one of my employees says, gee whiz, Tim, you carry that thing with you everywhere. And I was like, good. I do. But you know what I thought about? I, had a, I missed out on a wonderful opportunity because... He saw that I carried my Bible, but the question that should have been in my mind, does he see that I live by that? You know, a lot of us carry our Bibles around. We carry Christian books around, and people see that. They know we're Christians. But would they say that you're devoted, not just to carrying that Bible, but living by it? The final reason preaching must be a focus is that it is constantly encouraged in the apostles' correspondence, in their letters. Of course, we have letters that are written that, f- that fill the pages of the New Testament. And when one moves throughout the New Testament, we learn a couple things. One, we'll see exhortation not only to study the Word of God, but to live by it. This is clearly seen in Paul's letters to Timothy. 1 Timothy 4.13 Until I come, Timothy, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture and to the preaching and teaching. What he's saying is, is don't get focused in on other things. You make sure that you are devoting yourself to the preaching and teaching of the Word of God. Second Timothy chapter 4, he tells Timothy again, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing, I give this charge to you. Preach 
the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instructing. Instruction. It even tells us in later in First uh, Timothy chapter five verse seventeen that if we're going to have elders in this church, one of the key qualifications of any elder in any Bible believing church is that they must be able to teach. That your uh, key leaders in any church have to be able to teach the Word of God. Have to be able to do it. And that's why preaching and teaching the Word is of great importance to us as a church because we see the importance in the New Testament. Second point this morning. Biblical preaching must follow, it must follow a specific pattern to be authentic. This is of great importance. In churches today, there's preaching and there's biblical preaching. Even in the most liberal of churches, you are going to have this morning, someone is going to get up and they are going to expound on some theme. Hopefully it's somewhere in the Bible. But someone's going to get up. Why? Because that's a part of the service that we call going to church. Someone's going to get up. We're going to sing some songs. There's going to be announcements given. We're going to pray a couple times. We're going to read some scripture. And then we're going to open the word and we're going to preach. And there's no two preachers who are going to be alike. Some are loud like the one you've got. Some are quiet. Some are full of energy. And others are more teachers and more uh, subdued. Some are going to have great stories of application and great uh, stories of humor. While others are going to be more systematic in their teaching. Some are going to use the pulpit, the wooden pulpit. Others are going to use music stands. While others are going to stand, others will sit on a stool. I'm not talking about those types of differences between preachers. What I'm talking about is the content of their preaching. So many times we base biblical preaching on all the peripheral things instead of the content of their message. We have different personalities. We have different giftedness in doing what we do as preachers. But it's the context. The problem is within America today is that there is a lot more preaching on things like relationships, money management, friendships, parenting skills, how to do good in your job, how to have a good view of life. And recently, a famous church, a church that I used to used to hold to high value uh, in uh, America, a huge church, spent 10 weeks talking about the importance of having a good self-esteem. Where's the text on that? We just spent 15 weeks talking about how bad we are. That's a self-esteem killer. You're dead. You're blind. You're a bunch of losers. Now go love one another and enjoy yourselves. You're pretty good. I don't see that in Scripture. Ten weeks preaching on something, and I don't mean to demagogue these churches, but I want us to be so very careful because the slope is so slippery at times that we forget what we're to be preaching. If you hear me doing something other than preaching the Word of God, it's time you get a new preacher. It's time. Make sure that the Word of God isn't being used just as a springboard to a whole bunch of stories and to a whole bunch of ideas. I listen every week to a a pastor on the radio. He reads one Bible verse, and then he goes off for a half an hour just like a fire hydrant, just dousing people with all kinds of statistics and all kinds of stories. That's, in my opinion, not biblical preaching. 
In fact, one of the best-known preachers stands up and gives a great little articulate speech about this being your Bible and having everything that it has, and then they set it down, and that's the last time they look at the Bible because every scripture he uses is a paraphrase. We need to be careful here in America that we don't fall prey to non-biblical preaching. Paul says, preach the Word. Not your ideas, not your thoughts, not what you saw on TV, but preach the Word. That's the content that Paul's talking about. Why is that so important? Because it was important to the apostles. Look at what the apostles had as a part of their preaching. First of all, it was rooted in the Old Testament. The apostles' teaching was rooted in the Old Testament. They taught from the Old Testament. That was their body of Scripture at that time. If you look at Acts chapter 2, just before we, where our text is at today, we see Peter talking to a group of people. He's in Jerusalem, and he's proclaiming to people from all over the world at Pentecost. And look at what happens. Just look back into Acts chapter 2. Look at verses 17 through 21 of Acts 2. Look at what he's doing. He is reciting Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. Then in verses 25 through 28, he quotes David from the Old Testament. And he does, I'm sorry, and, yeah, and then in verses 34 and 35, he does the same thing. Two quotations from David in the Old Testament. Turn for a moment to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7. We're introduced to this guy named Stephen. Stephen was one of the deacons of the church. And he's filled with the Spirit and he's standing before the Sanhedrin. And in his message to the Sanhedrin, the chief priest and the teachers of that day, his message is full of Old Testament references. In fact, he makes 11 references from five different Old Testament books in one chapter that contains his message. Turn to Acts chapter 8 for a moment. We see Philip, another great man of the faith. And God brings him to witness to an Ethiopian eunuch. And this eunuch has a question. He's opening up the Scriptures, the prophet of Isaiah, and he doesn't understand what the Scripture says. He's trying to figure it out. And God brings Philip to him. And Philip gives a correct interpretation of the book of Isaiah. Of Isaiah 53, verses 7 and 8. That's the job of the preacher. If you want to understand what the job of the preacher is, it is to articulate truth to those who desire to hear it. The Ethiopian a eunuch wanted to know the meaning of the text. And that's what Philip talks about. Second aspect of the apostles' preaching and teaching was that it revolved around the person and work of Jesus Christ. It revolved around the person and work of Jesus Christ. Understand this. Back in Acts chapter 2, Peter's message from the Old Testament. But what does it do? It keeps pointing to Jesus He would articulate. He would say, David says this, but David isn't talking about himself here. He's talking about Christ. Hey, this is what the Old Testament prophets said concerning the Messiah, and it's Jesus. What David says, what Isaiah says when Philip is talking to the eunuch, he says, this is what Isaiah was saying. What he's saying is is that there was a Messiah coming, and let me assure you that that Messiah's name is Jesus of Nazareth. You know what we need to understand from this? is a couple things. Number one, make sure we preach from the Old Testament. Make sure that we're preaching from the Old Testament. I can tell you, Old Testament's hard to preach through. It's difficult. It's not easy. But we want to do that. 
And we've taught through books like Haggai. We've taught through books like Ruth. We're going to be going here in the spring, going through the book of Malachi. These aren't easy passages. They're difficult. They take a lot of study. The Hebrew language is difficult at times to understand. But we need to preach those. But we don't just preach them as historical events that happened in the past. But everything in the Old Testament should always point to Jesus. You know, there's a common theme that I try to have in every one of my messages. I am by, by far not perfect in this. But there are some themes that I want to see in every message because I believe they're major themes of Scripture. First of all, the holiness of God. That in every message I will at some point talk about the holiness of God. God is completely holy and set apart. I want to talk about the sin of humanity. That amidst a God that is holy, we are a people who are full of sin. I want to talk about grace that has been bestowed. That we don't have to live in our sin. But we have an opportunity to fall in love with Jesus because of grace. Something that we can't merit. Something that we can't do on our own. And then what I want to do is I want to articulate that that grace is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that we can accept Jesus because of the cross of Calvary and what He's done. And His death, burial, and resurrection, the impact that that has on our lives. And then you want to also talk about the life of holiness that God has called you to. Those are the five or six major themes that I see in Scripture. And there's others, and they're important. But those are the ones that I want from this pulpit to be proclaimed. Because then that is the Gospel, the Word of God. Finally, we see that the apostles' preaching and teaching was replete, meaning it was stuffed full of doctrinal instruction and application. We look throughout the Scriptures, and we see a couple things in the New Testament. First of all, we see that there was doctrinal teaching going on. In fact, other translations say that they were devoted to the apostles' doctrine. Now, when I use this word doctrine, people many times begin to envision a classroom setting where they find themselves being bored to death by technical terms that they don't understand, asking the question, what does this matter to me? I want to put it into perspective of what I know about doctrine. Doctrine is the study of God. That's what we call it, theology, the study of theos, God. That's the Greek word for God. So what are we to understand about this? If there was a class that was starting... And the class was all about Amanda, my wife. I want to tell you something. I'm going to be there. And the first week is going to be Amanda, the early years. I'm not going to be late to that class. I'm going to want to hear about Amanda. And then week three, Amanda meets the freak. And that's going to be an exciting class. Some of you know that's what Amanda called me before she was irresistibly drawn to my charm and personality. But here's the thing. I love Amanda. And I want to hear about anything that revolves around Amanda, correct? You would be upset if you heard me say, you know what? I go in that class and the teacher gets up and says, we're going to talk about Amanda Bedall. And you see me sleeping. You're going to question something. You're going to question my love and my commitment to that subject or to that person, correct? Then why is it that the people of God find themselves so bored at the teaching of God? Why is that? That we sit there and we say, oh, do we really got to go through this? I don't understand this word. And there's some things I'm going to be honest with you. I don't understand about Amanda. 
but I want to know as much as I can about her. And that's how we should be about Christ and His Word and His doctrine. Oh, I long for a day that village would be a church, and we're we're getting there, but that we would be a church who longs for the doctrine of God. That we would go and we would get into classes and we would say, teach me about my king. Teach me about the one who has saved me. And I don't mean getting into these huge and, 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 and full of quarrelsome intellectual discussions. And, and that can happen. But I'm talking about dealing with who God is and what he's about. And yet we find ourselves trying to deal with things that we don't see what the scripture says. There's a lot of things, a lot of debate that we want to hear about. If you were to talk with many Christians, in fact, probably many here today, they would say their most important thing that they would like to hear taught. Anytime I say, hey, well, what would you like to be taught? The book of Revelation. I want to know what your position is on this, this, and this. And it's amazing. The things that the Bible really isn't clear about, we want to know about. The things that the Bible is clear about, the goodness of God, the love of God, the wrath of God, uh, the forgiveness of God, the salvation that we find in Christ, we say, you know what? I just believe in a simple faith. I believe in Jesus and, and He loves me and that's good enough for me. It's not good enough. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. We need to be a church that teaches the Old Testament, that makes sure that our teaching revolves around the person and work of Jesus Christ and is full of doctrine. But not just doctrine that we can walk away. And there are churches, there are churches that sit there and will parse every verb in the text. And and there's a part, there's a place for that. And there's good studying to understand what the original language talk about. I do that with you when I think it's important that you understand what a Greek word means. It's been said that Greek and Hebrew is like underwear. You have to have it, but not everybody has to see that you have it. It's there for the support, but that's all. And if you start thinking, well, Tim's just saying that to sound smart, then there's a problem. But I want to articulate, this is what the Greek, this is what the Hebrew says for a reason. But if we're going to sit here and just say, because, we, well, we believe in the doctrine and we, and we believe in this, and man, we just are taught biblical preaching, and look how big our brains are now, then we miss it. Because the Scripture in the New Testament is full of doctrinal teaching, but then it leads to application. It's not good just to learn facts about your king, but it's the good to apply those facts into daily living. Ephesians is a great picture of that. We're going through a series called The uh, Miracle of Life Change, an exposition of uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And what does Chip Ingram say in the first message? He says that, hey, if you want to understand what Ephesians 4 is all about, you first got to understand the doctrine of Ephesians 1 through 3. Start there. And then when you get to Ephesians chapter 4, there's application. The book of Romans deals with 11 chapters of doctrine. And then at the beginning of uh, chapter 12, it says, Therefore, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices. All that you've learned, all the doctrine that Romans 1 through 11 has taught you, it should move you to start living lives of sacrifice that honor God. Make sure that the doctrine we learn, therefore, applies in application, if that makes sense, applies with application. Two of the same words go with it. Okay? So what do we see? Third point this morning. Third point. We're moving along here. We'll finish up in a moment. 
Biblical preaching must remain faithful to the principles of Scripture. If you're going to say you're a biblical preacher, if you're going to be a part of a Bible preaching church, it has to remain faithful to the Scriptures. Now, how do we know that what we are teaching and preaching is actually biblical, is actually true? F.F. Bruce once said that the apostles' teaching is authoritative because it was the teaching of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that was communicated through human hands and human voices. Now, we must understand something, that the scripture that the apostles were teaching was declared as God's truth. Now, you have to ask the question, what would have made the 3,000 people that the day of Pentecost brought into the kingdom of God, what would have made them think that the Christians had it right? The answer is seen in the second point. Not only was it declared as God's truth, but we see, secondly, that it involved uh, being deemed worthy through God's power. What happened was, is they said, this is God's truth. We see that when Paul tells Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. God has spoken these words. The words that you have in your hand aren't just stories or quick, funny uh, uh, events that happen in the life of a missionary or great stories of truth about great martyrs of the faith, but they are, in fact, the living and active words of God. Now, this teaching was deemed worthy through the power of God. What, what do we see? Acts 2, verse 43, it says, Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. How did they get their authority? The authority came as they preached the word of God, and then there would be a lame man who would be uh, laying on the ground. And Peter and John would come, and what they would do is they would heal him. And the people would say, wait a minute. What they're saying is true because they are from God. When Peter, I believe it's Peter and John, in the book of Acts, stand before the Sanhedrin, the, uh, they begin to articulate. And they tell of all the things that they've done. And the Sanhedrin talks about that, hey, we can't beat up these guys because if we do, we know that they've done miracles in the sight of people that are from God. And then they start talking. And their message is so eloquent and so defined that they look and they say, these are unlearned men, for they must have spent time with Jesus. And that's the power that is seen. It says that they were miraculous signs. Signs of what? Signs of validation. What we teach is truth because the signs of validation were given to the apostles through miraculous gifts and to healings. But what about now? I preach the Word of God. I haven't healed anybody that I know of, okay? I haven't done anything, haven't levitated the uh, communion table, haven't done any of that stuff. Why should you listen to what I'm saying? Because the Bible says that is authoritative, that it is good for correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. But why would we all be sitting here to listen to a historical book that was written more than 2,000 years ago? Why would we sit there and listen? Because there's a miraculous sign in the truth of the Word of God itself. Look at the people that are sitting around you. All of us come from different lands. All of us have different backgrounds. All of us are a part of different social economic circles. All of us have different personalities. All of us have all kinds of differences, yet we come into this place and we surround ourselves with the word that in fact has changed every person here. 
And the amazing thing about the Word of God, more than any other book, I've never heard anything like this in any other book except the Bible, that across history, across ethnic lines, across all kinds of backgrounds and issues, the Word of God has changed lives. Do you know of any other, has Harry Potter changed anybody's life? Has the writings of uh, any of the Greek philosophers done what the Word of God has? To me, that's a sign of validation. The next thing we see is where do we find this stuff? Very quickly, it's delineated. It's found in the New Testament. Every one of the 27 books of the New Testament were either written by an apostle or backed by an apostle's authority. All of them speak with great authority. And all of them are still completely applicable to us today. In the New Testament, we have the apostles' teaching that Acts says that the people were devoted to it. And they taught with authority. Make sure that your preaching and the teaching, if you're a teacher here, don't sit there and gloss over the truth. Say, thus saith the Lord. And even if that means they're going to revolt in your class, who cares? Preach the Word with authority. The living Word of God is Jesus Christ. And He leads us today by giving us His written Word, the Scriptures. We should never shy away from hard text. We should never shy away from things that will make us politically incorrect. But we should stand like Martin Luther did when he was facing excommunication in the church and even death, where he said, here I stand, I can do no other. Let the church be filled with pulpits that preach that kind of message. That's when revival will take place in our midst. Finally, number four, biblical preaching that is founded on the Scriptures produces results. It produces results. How do we start seeing results? You can have someone who's up preaching the Word of God and articulating the truth, but some things have to happen for us to see results. First of all, people have to have a desire to hear the Word. People have to have a desire to hear the Word. So thankful that a church that we are in has a desire to hear the Word, that has a desire to hear what the Word of God has to say, I was recently reading uh, a magazine article from a pastor of a very well-known church that was telling other pastors at a conference, this was a transcript, that pastors in the year 2007 and beyond must do all that they can to keep their messages at a maximum of 25 to 30 minutes. Well, all the sanctification in my heart, I say that's a crock. Now, why does he say that? Because he says you'll begin to lose people. People will start to drift off. They'll begin to be distracted. And I sit there and I say, that person, that preacher doesn't have an idea about the uh, mental ability of his hearers. 25 minutes, a half hour, some of you may agree with that. And you may say, Tim, you're three times too long right now and you're still going. But you know what? We don't have a problem staying focused when we surf the net for hours. We don't have a problem staying focused when we watch mindless television. We don't have a problem listening to the radio for hours or reading our favorite best-selling book or reading magazines or a myriad of other activities. Yet when it comes to the preaching of the Word, we say that we are it's easy to become distracted. My prayer is that we will have a church that hungers to hear the Word of God. And I don't say that because I want to preach long messages. Okay? 
It'd be easy to come up with a 30-minute message and, and just run through some quick things and say, I'll tell you what, that would make my week a lot easier. But I'm going to tell you something. I know what it's like to live in the world. I know the temptations that are there. And a generation ago, when my parents went to church, they got Sunday morning teaching. They got Sunday school teaching. They got a teaching on Sunday nights. And then they would go back for a refresher course on Wednesday. What do we have now? We have churches that have gotten rid of Sunday school and Sunday night and Wednesday, and they've gotten rid of all that. And then what do they do? They preach for 25 minutes. And they send people off to be destroyed by the devil and his schemes. I don't want that kind of church. I want a church that focuses in on the teaching and preaching of God's Word. Some of my greatest mentors are Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones of England, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, uh, John Piper, John MacArthur. All these guys are great expositors of the Word. They don't preach short sermons. One of the fastest growing churches in America is Mars Hills Church in Seattle, Washington, led by a young pastor named Mark Driscoll. In the most unchristian city in America, he has one of the fastest growing churches. How is he doing that? Please hear me. He's doing that by preaching for an hour and a half. An hour and a half. And he does five sermons because they don't have enough room to take care of all the people that are coming in. Those are people who long to hear for the word. They're here and they say, just keep preaching it. Why? Because just like talking about my wife and, and how much I love her and wanting to hear everything I can about her, the people of God should not be weary in hearing about their king. And so what do we do as preachers? I promise you this. That everything I do, I will make sure that we speak with relevance when it comes to the teaching of God's Word. That we speak with power. That we ignite your hearts and your minds. And that 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 preaching would change you. So when you come into this place, you say, let me hear the Word of God. Give it to me. Instead of looking at our watches. Next we see that they had a desire to heed the Word. Acts chapter 2 says they were devoted. They understood what James said later when he said, Do not listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do it, what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this... Not forgetting what he has heard, it says, but doing it, he will be blessed in all that he does. When you put a desire not only to hear the word, not to just come and hear a message on Sunday and walk out and forget what you've heard, but listening to it and doing what it says. When it says to study the word, you're in the word. When it says to be a people of prayer, that we are people of prayer, that we would fellowship, that we would minister to one another, we would do what the Bible says. There's results. Acts had that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine or teaching. And what happens? Look at our text again. It says, everyone was filled with awe. They devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. They were filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done. The believers had together, were together and had everything in common. They sold possessions and goods to give to those in need. They continued to meet in the temple courts, speaking of worship there. They broke bread in their homes, speaking of fellowship. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Steph, go ahead and put up the rest of the words there. You know what the results are? You'll have elevated worship. You'll have empowered prayers. You'll have enriched service. 
You will have expanded joy. And you will have explosive evangelism. If Village wants to be a church that is growing like the New Testament commands us to grow, then we will have a desire for the priority of the Word of God to be taught. Not just from this pulpit or this music stand, but from every teacher that we have, whether it's in adult Bible fellowships, whether it's in our children's Sunday school, whether it's in the nursery, whether it's in our small groups, whether it's in our Bible studies, that every time we come into this place, that there is a focus on opening up the living and active Word of God. Let's pray. Father God, we come before You. And Lord, we desire, we long nothing more than the results that have taken place in the book of Acts. But, Father, to do that, we must devote ourselves to your teaching and to your word. Father, these weren't easy things to share this morning. I know I've stepped on some toes. And, Lord, I pray that my stepping on toes would be your feet doing the stepping. And, Father, we wouldn't just do things for the sake of of just being uh, uh, bombastic in our teaching, to be uh, inflammatory, but, Lord, that we would be a people who don't want the status quo, but who long to be taught the Word of God. Oh, Lord, Your Word is truth. Sanctify us by that truth, for Your truth is the only hope we have in a world of lies. So let us immerse ourselves in that teaching, that You would be received glory, that You would receive honor and praise in the life of holiness that comes from the life of truth that You have embodied in the Word of God. To You be the glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.